Hello, this is Pastor Dan, and welcome to this Worship by Phone recording posted during the week of Sunday, February 14th. Call this number back at any time to hear this message again, and call back each week for a new Worship by Phone recording. Well, this past Sunday was the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, and it was also Transfiguration Sunday. It is a high holy day in the church, a day that traditionally falls on the Sunday before Lent begins. So yes, this week, uh, Lent starts. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. For Ash Wednesday, uh, we will have Ashes to Go kits here at the church from 8 a.m. until 7 p.m. So this number, this worship by phone number, will actually be used along with those kits. So this recording will be up on Monday and Tuesday. There will be a new recording up on Wednesday for Ash Wednesday, and then we'll put this recording back on Thursday. So just so you know, if you do uh, plan the dial-in on Wednesday, you'll be hearing something different. But if you would like ashes, you can come by the church and listen to that message uh, on Wednesday. So now here's the uh, worship service from this past Sunday, at least pieces of it, and you'll be hearing uh, from a few different members of Edgeboro. Right off the bat, you'll be hearing from members of the Sign family as they give some updates and give to us the watchword for the week and the unison prayer. Then you'll hear the voice of Beth Behrend read the first scripture reading, and then Jenica Borger read the second scripture reading, and then music from Betty Louie and her mom Sylvia Tang, which we were blessed to hear that they recorded from their own home. And then Jenica, Gail Justice, and myself, well, you'll hear us singing in a later hymn. So with all that, let us quiet our hearts, and we'll begin with worship, and hear from the Sign family. Good morning. We're very happy to be here. Um, we miss all our church family, but it's nice to be able to take part like this. So good morning from the Sign house. Yes. I guess we're supposed to talk about what we've done. Um, I started a business this last few months, so I'm like excited about that, and it's got this, the house always busy these days, um, but uh, having a good time. Um, and then, hi, um, I am a teacher now in the Bethlehem Area School District. Um, I'm teaching kindergarten, first and second grade emotional support at uh, Freemansburg Elementary School, and I'm loving it. So it's been a crazy year, but I'm still loving it. Hi, I'm new. I'm Janice, and I just moved here. With the Fine family, I'm kind of the adopted grandma, and I'm just so happy, and we'll be looking forward to uh, meeting the, the church family when that's allowed to happen. <laughs> so we're very glad to be able to take part like this, and um, we look forward to seeing everyone again when we can. Yeah. All right, so to get started. Our daily text watchword for the week comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. And if you can join us in the unison prayer. Merciful God, we humbly acknowledge that we fall short of the glory that you call us to walk in. Create in us clean hearts, and renew a right spirit within us. Transform us today into your more perfect image, so that we might brighten the world with your light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
The first scripture reading is from Psalm chapter 50, verses 1 through 6. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire and a mighty tempest all around him. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones <clears throat> who we made a covenant with, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. And our gospel reading today is from the gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter, verses two through 10. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean.
Well, happy Transfiguration Day. Today is a high holy day for the church. It's up there along with Christmas and Easter and Good Friday. All of those are stories that we read each and every year in the church along with the Transfiguration. We revisit this every, every Sunday, every year on the Sunday before Lent begins. But sometimes it's a bit overshadowed by these other high holy days, and we don't often, I guess, remember it when we think about those other church holidays. There's so many things to observe and, and only so much time, uh, so let's dwell on transfiguration for a little bit before we then transition on to Valentine's Day, even though that's not a church holiday, but still a holiday nonetheless. Now, one of the big reasons why this is uh, less thought of as a high holy day is because we're not quite sure what to do with the transfiguration. There are far fewer hymns and liturgies written about the transfiguration than Christmas and Easter, and even fewer church traditions. It's kind of a confusing event. It's sort of a one-of-a-kind thing, and we struggle to find a purpose for it. So instead of jumping down a rabbit hole of questions like why did Jesus need to be transfigured at all, or why were Moses and Elijah there in the first place, or why did Jesus only take three disciples with him, and how did Jesus become so white anyway, I'm going to propose that today we simply let this story be the story and let Jesus do his thing. Because that's kind of what he does throughout the Gospels anyway. Now, Jewish people then expected a powerful Messiah, a chosen one, to come to them, to rescue them and, and conquer their enemies so that they could have their own empire, or at least their own place to call home once again. They'd expect this chosen one to come back with unmatched power and strength from God, quite similar, in fact, to the power and the strength and the display that Jesus showed when he was transfigured. So we get a little bit of a glimpse, like maybe Jesus could have been this kind of powerful Messiah to take things by force and conquer enemies and, and, and have his armies come. And it would just seem to make things a lot easier for the, the followers of Jesus then to believe in a Messiah like that, one who could not be defeated. But I think one of the points or one of the reasons why the transfiguration is here is that it's a reminder that even though Jesus could have been that kind of Messiah, the Messiah we would have all expected, instead, 99% of the other time that he was on the earth, he chose a very different kind of life. He chose to eat with strangers and heal the sick and now, in this later part in Mark, he will then transition to traveling to Jerusalem, teaching and healing along the way, but also traveling to Jerusalem, knowing that there's a cross waiting for him. No, this is not the Savior, not the Messiah, not the Chosen One that anyone expected. And so it falls in line that today we witness our unexpected Savior do something completely unexpected. Now, right away, we get a small hint 
that what's about to happen is, in fact, unexpected. We begin the story by reading that this happened six days later. And if you must know, this happened six days after Peter had correctly called Jesus the Messiah, and then Jesus foretold his death to the the disciples, upon which Peter then said, wait, you're the Messiah, that can't happen. No, you're not going to die, forbid it. To which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, and refuses to listen to Peter, but goes on to foretell his death. All of this is a further reminder that Jesus isn't the Messiah that Peter expected, and isn't the Messiah that others or that we expect. But six days later, after that, six days is such an unsatisfying number of days in biblical terms. Now, if we're talking seven days, the holy number seven, the same amount of days that it took God to complete his creation of the world, yeah, seven is a complete number. Let's make things happen on the seventh day. But six days later, That just feels unsatisfying and uncomfortable. Nothing holy should really start or stop at six. But it was on that sixth day that Jesus took Peter and James and John with them, who, of course, had no idea what was coming. In fact, the last time that Jesus took the three of them by themselves together was when Jesus went and healed a girl. Well, not just healed. The girl was dead. So took her by the hand, brought her back to life like everything was fine. So, of course, the disciples didn't expect to see that. So they have no idea what they're about to see now because they're not headed for a house or a bedroom or anything like that. They're traveling up a mountain. So who knows what is in store for the three of them. So here's an unexpected Savior doing who knows what on a mountain on a day when this had no business taking place. There is just so much mystery going on here. We have no idea what to do with this story, and we have no heads up that this is going to happen, and there's just no apparent structure to it. Sometimes, well, the great thing, but also the problem with our brains is that if we don't have structure or we don't have an explanation, we need one. And so sometimes we make one even if An explanation is not actually given in a story or a different circumstance. So Peter, feeling this struggle within his own human brain and trying to get more comfortable with this bizarre situation, creates this plan, some kind of structure to go with it, to build dwellings for Jesus and Elijah and Moses. And as he is planning As he is done, he's almost interrupted by God to say, stop, look at my beloved son and listen to him. And here's where I think the reminder is for us today. We as as church people have faithfully planned and created structures to follow God's call to love the world. And and we've done so, I guess, not just within church, but within our schools and communities and everywhere else. We've created organizations. We've created covenants and committees and leadership roles for people uh, and calendars and liturgies and protocols and events. So we've organized ourselves so that we can worship together and learn and eat and play together and celebrate and, and act 
as one and even mourn together. We've, we've organized ourselves to do a number of different things and we continue to plan for the future. But what if we need a reminder in the midst of our planning and organizing that we need this reminder to listen to Jesus because Jesus could do something unexpectedly amazing at any moment inside of our plans or outside of them? What if we need a humbling reminder to say that Jesus doesn't need our plans to be a savior? to be our savior. Now, I am by no means saying that we should stop planning or stop organizing or stop doing the things that we do because certainly Christ can work within plans. The apostle Paul in one of his letters does call administration a gift of the Holy Spirit. But while we're making our own plans, there's a lot of wisdom here telling us that maybe we should leave the door cracked to leave room for Jesus to do something unexpected. Maybe another way of saying this is we should hang on to our plans loosely. After all, Christ doesn't follow our plans. Instead, we vow to follow Christ. I am grateful for scripture this morning uh, for prompting this reminder because we all know we're still in a year and in a season when it's incredibly hard to plan anything in our personal or professional or church lives because we don't know what the challenges are that the, that the pandemic might bring and what additional details or logistics or challenges that that might cause. This is an incredibly difficult time to plan anything. And yet we have an incredibly timely reminder that Christ is not only within our plans, but is also Savior outside of them too. So for now, let's stop short of adding structure or explanation to the transfiguration that we read about. And let's stop thinking about why or how this happened. And let's let Jesus do the unexpected thing. Let's just be in his glory. Let's be grateful that he is so faithful to keep, us, to keep appearing in our lives, to show us what is good and what is holy and what is helpful and what is life-giving in who we meet and what we experience and what we plan for and what we don't. God says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Amen.
Christ's light and peace to love and serve in his name. Amen.